Okay, cool. All right. Hello, everyone. Sea Witch listeners. This is now our fantastic Sea Witch podcast. And today our author is Brandon Hill, who is here to discuss her upcoming second novel called Blood of the True Believer. And of course, I need a minute to get up her awesome bio. Um, Brandon R. Hillman is a triple bi, biracial, bisexual, bipolar, speculative fiction author, playwright, podcaster, stage manager, excuse me, U.S. Navy veteran, and graduate of the University of Hawaii at Manoa's Department of Theater and Dance. Her short stories have appeared in Anathema, Spec from the Margins, and Page and Spine. Brandon is part of the weekly Bye 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 podcast. Love that. Um, her debut novel, The Hole in the World, released in October of 2019, and the follow-up, Blood of the True Believer, will release in August of 2020. Brandon is a citizen of the Salt St. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians and seeks to embrace, regain, and give voice to that part of herself through her work. She is currently on the island of Oahu in Hawaii, where she drinks too much coffee and lives with her family. No such thing <laughs> as too much coffee. There's really not. There's absolutely <laughs> not, yeah. Um, I've switched, it's five o'clock here with us, so I've switched to seltzer, but I've already had a lot <laughs> of coffee today. Um, okay, so um, as our um, Sea podcast today, we would love to hear Brandon read a bit of her new book, so yeah. Okay, all right. Um, I thought it would be more engaging if I didn't start right at the beginning. So I'm gonna jump into chapter four because I think that gives a little more of a feeling, like a little more hints at what's going on. So if that's not too, too diva of me. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> chapter four, Innes. It followed logic that if Innes wanted to spend the most time possible with Karn on his weekend home, he needed to join her in the things she did. Failure to think this through to a logical conclusion found him huffing and puffing, sweating and panting, and not in the fun way that had ensured his good night's sleep. How far has it been, he asked, as he sucked in an ice-cold breath and lengthened his stride to catch up. It has to have been, I don't know, 10 miles? Not yet, too, she called over her shoulder, and then, because his best friend was a jerk, she turned around and jogged backward in front of him. It feels like 10. Likely it would feel like more later. He wasn't even out of shape. She turned around again, slowing to run at his side. And how long would that last? He could see her practically vibrating to move faster. Now you know why I said we'd eat after a run. What if your stomach was full of toast and eggs? Do you know how bad that tastes the second time? That was not helping, not even a little. You really do this every day? It was a silly question as he already knew the answer. He'd known the answer since they were 12. Every, every day? No. Well, that made him feel better. Sometimes I go twice. She had to be kidding. She dropped back again. What are you doing? He didn't trust her behind him, not when he was barely keeping up and she seemed to gain wind with every stride. Well, I don't want to run off and leave you alone. The fact that she could carry on a conversation without dropping dead was unbelievable. Just in case you collapse. She picked up her pace, passing again, and ran back around the other side. She was literally running circles around him. That was just unnecessary. Besides, this way you can't escape me when I ask you more about Evangeline. 
His mouth pulled into a tight line, though not for long, since it seemed the only possible way to keep breathing was through his mouth, now that the cold had frozen his nose shut. There's not much to tell. Obviously, this was not true, since he'd already confessed to visiting so he could talk to Karn about it. She's nice. She's pretty. Karn jogged backward at his side, her ponytail bobbing with her exaggerated movements. I figured that part out. What do you like or not like about her? Both were excellent questions. What did he like about her? It was difficult to remember anything specific about their encounters. I don't want to be pushed into a commitment right now because of school. She didn't phrase it as such, but it was definitely a question. Not just school because of the droves of women flinging themselves at you on a daily basis. He snorted since his lungs burned from the cold. While not technically untrue, he was not ready to elaborate. How did he explain Amelia and how she fit into this? Well, all of this. Or, his wily best friend started, her voice taking on a tone he knew well. Maybe it's all an excuse, judging by the way you're huffing and puffing here. She fell behind him once more, making another circle so she could toss her taunt over her shoulder. Maybe you're just not up to the challenge. Afraid you'll give small town boys a bad rep if you buckle? That was the final straw. Waiting until she dropped behind him once more, he lunged, not giving her a chance to dance out of his way as she could often do. He grabbed her up and slung her over his shoulder, shrieking for him to put her down, which might have been convincing if she hadn't been squealing with glee. I'm done running, he announced, skipping down off the road into the woods, not even sorry that his sneakers filled with snow that would soak his socks. Being that this was not the first time he'd hefted her like a bag of feed, he knew enough to wrap an arm around her legs to avoid getting kicked in the head. Innis Cameron, you put me down, she yelled out, laughing and beating her tiny fists against his backside. Had there been any sincerity in the, fa in the act or her words, he'd have put her down right away. They both knew that. Are you sure that's what you want? He asked, loosening his grip just enough to give the impression he'd drop her into the snow. She screamed, her laughter taking on a frantic quality as her demands turned to pleading not to drop her. So, he did what any mature university man would do. He dropped into the snow, cushioning her fall as he took her with him. The bank, deeper than he'd anticipated, covered them both, causing Karn to holler out as the snow crept under her collar and into the gap between her sweater and running tights. It didn't take her long to squirm around until she could straddle him, her fingers finding the spots in his ribs she knew would make him buck and laugh, turning the tables, or at least the snowdrift against him. He fought back, grasping her wrists and yanking her closer to stop her vicious attack. He leaned up to nip her throat harder than he'd done other times and pinned her wrists behind her as his pulse thundered in his ears. He felt her tense and drew back to see her face. She looked at him, her eyes widening nearly imperceptibly, but enough that he let go without hesitation. She hopped back. She hopped up and skittered back, breathless and laughing, but giving him an uncertain look. What are you doing, pretty mouth? He felt his stomach drop. Karn, I'm sorry. He pushed up from the ground, ignoring the bite of snow against his skin, mad at himself. I shouldn't have done that. I mean, not without asking. She looked at him, a brow raised as her breathing settled. About what? Yes, what? That was a good question. Of course, he knew the answer. In the moment, it just felt like a natural thing to do. To restrain me? No, he said as he held his hands up though she wasn't wrong. I mean, yes, I know I should have asked first. You know I wouldn't. I didn't say I didn't like it. Wait, what? It's just new and not really like you. 
No, it wasn't, was it? Karn, I'm really sorry. She shook her head, not looking any less confused, but something dancing in her mismatched hazel eyes all the same. Are you? Of course he was. How could she even ask that? She waved a hand to stop him from protesting. I, I mean, is that something you want to do to me? Innes could feel his face heat and he fumbled for words, tearing a hand through his hair. I, he'd not expected that feeling in his stomach, that spark of warmth at the idea, a not so gentle nudge to see where the thought led. Cardin didn't know how not like him this was, but he wasn't ready for her to ask questions, mostly because he wasn't sure how to explain it yet. I mean, she lifted and dropped her shoulders as she brushed some snow off her hair. Her eyes locked on his as her hands absent, absently rubbed at opposite wrists in alternating twists. So ask, wait, what? She nodded her lip in a way that he found very distracting, presenting a few ideas he hadn't expected to have. Or don't. She took a deep breath and held it, her pulse thrumming visibly under the red mark at her throat, which spiked his own. He'd not thought of it, not until it was right there in front of him. You know I trust you. Well, that was enough, wasn't it? He let a low growling laugh, feeling a little out of his element, and yet... She twitched back half a step as he strode toward her, prowled. She didn't move farther than that. Her eyes seemed uncertain, but her lips twitched at the corner and she stood her ground as if to challenge him. He swept her backward, pushing her until her back hit a silver maple, one of her wrists in each hand. Are you sure? She laughed this time, breaking some of the tension for which he was grateful. Yes, now stop asking. I know what to say if that changes. He blinked. Of course she did because there had always been an agreement between them, long before they'd ever, as she liked to put it, ruined her maidenhood. Vigil, a nod back to the days when they would sit watch on the porch at the farmhouse waiting for something to appear. A fairy, a monster they'd only seen in their dreams. Proof of the magic he knew existed long before they'd met Yelena, and long before either of them knew that Karn couldn't experience magic. Still, he asked, just to be sure. Promise? She nodded, and just in case that wasn't enough, tugged her arms until he let her lift them above her head. I promise. She laughed softly, the sound sending an unexpected tingle through him that he felt far below his belly. He found himself wondering why he'd never considered this with, with Karn until just now. Considering the new education and exploration that came with Amelia's friendship, he had to wonder if this added ache to experience it with his best friend was one more bullet on the list of reasons not to date Evangeline. Besides, you're not going to have sex with me out here in the middle of the woods, not with people and potential unicorns wandering about. She was right. Even though she wasn't as funny as she thought she was, he laughed. Because, well, she was as funny as she thought she was. He gripped her wrist more firmly, watching, listening for any sign she was in distress. The delicate thrum of her pulse rushed against his grip as he ducked his head and demanded a kiss from her. He followed the flutter of it over her neck to where it joined her ear at which point he faltered into a chuckle. If you couldn't explore new things with a friend, then what was the point? And Karn wasn't just his friend. She was the oldest, dearest friend he had. Karn was right about him. He valued privacy too much, so they didn't do it right then and there against the tree. But that didn't mean there was nothing of note. Snatched gasps, teasing touches, scraping of teeth over pulse points, the chill of ice and snow against hot skin, an exploration of something slightly darker, something to follow up on later if she was willing. The thrill of something new buzzed between them, through breakfast, while cleaning up after their extensive cardio workout, while he was driving back to school at the end of the weekend. He 
He'd accomplished the exact opposite of what he had intended for his visit. He'd come home to not have to think and left with a great deal on his mind. Okay, thank you so much for reading that part. Um, so it's interesting. I actually started reading um, this book yesterday oh. and I haven't read the first one yet. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so I'm definitely in kind of an interesting um, place. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm very intrigued. And um, definitely what seems to me to be at the heart of this book, um, for what I've read so far, is this friendship between these two people. And certainly mm -hmm. in the chapter you just read, that very much seems to be um, at the center as well. And mm -hmm. so um, I had a question, really fell out of my head, um, that I was thinking about. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, did you start with their relationship when you were writing out this, th this series, or did you start more with the yeah. fantasy elements? Um, it started with the friendship between them and I kind of played around with it to see where it would go from there, you know, like kind of put these characters into different situations and, uh, kind of went from there to see what clicked until this story came up and, um, the hole in the world was, uh, actually a sort of, uh, platonic love letter to a friend of mine who really loved unicorn stories and, and um, who, uh, gave me the idea for Ennis as a character. And um, if you've read The Last Unicorn um, or seen the movie, uh, you'll notice some similarities between Ennis and uh, Prince Lear in the stories. And uh, so that's where that all came from. And so that's how the uh, first adventure between them got off to a role. And this is a continuation of that as they grow from young adults into new adults. Cool. Um, okay, David has questions. I'm gonna turn it over to him uh, I just wanted to say I really liked how other than a couple of touches in the section you read you would barely know it was a fantasy book um, <laughs> which I think just speaks to how well drawn the relationship and characters are and I think that that's um, something really cool to say was that um, did you so you said you started with the characters and <laughs> I guess that what I'm saying is that shows. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, every time we switch our questions, because we're in the same room, we have to make sure our laptops are like muted yeah. correctly. So it takes a second. But, um, but yeah, I was thinking about that as well, especially since I started with the second book and I started yesterday, um, that it did really feel like a relationship book first and a fantasy mm -hmm. book second. Um, yeah. You said that you started the, the first one as kind of a, a platonic love letter to a friend, which by the way, I love that. Um, and I have been thinking a lot since I started reading about the relationship between these two people because um, obviously they're very emphatic friends, but there's mm -hmm. a very intense sexual relationship between mm -hmm. them. And so I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm hoping that as I keep reading, um, I'll get, th there'll be more exploration <laughs> of yeah. that. Um, and I feel like as I was reading, I was like, damn, I wish I had time to read the first before our talk because <laughs> I want to know more about like, why are they so emphatically friends despite this very intense sexual chemistry? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm like excited to kind of maybe go back and read, uh, the first one to hear about oh, that. Oh, good. 
Yeah. Um, so something I've been very curious about was this series because I've never read a lot of young adult before um, the series that we've been doing through Sea Witch. And I've had the pleasure of having a couple of young adult authors. And something that I want to ask every young adult author we talk to is what made you decide to write young adult in particular? Um, especially with this story, with these characters and this story, um, I wanted to normalize some things between teenagers. Like, um, I wanted to normalize the fact that teenagers do and are engaging in sexual activity. Um, I wanted to normalize exploration without romantic entanglement. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and just kind of focus on the way that trust just kind of undermines everything in their life. And when I was growing up, um, I spent most of my high school years in a Protestant church and I'd been brought up Catholic. So that was complicated already. <laughs> and um, there weren't a lot of books talking about teenage sexuality available to me at the time. And so when I had these thoughts and feelings that I was grappling with, I felt dirty and out of place and wrong. You know, like everything felt shameful and sinful. And that's just what I was told to believe. And so I kind of turned that in on myself on this self-loathing that um, I was having all these thoughts and feelings and they must have been wrong because that's what I was being told. And I think about the relationship between Karn and Innes and I wish that I'd had something like that fall into my hands when I was that age. You know, something to tell me, oh, so this this is normal and it's not always catastrophic because when you you hear about sexual relationships outside of marriage when you're in a church setting or a youth group setting. Um, you hear about all the terrible things that can happen, but how um, future partners will just throw you away and you won't be valuable to them anymore. So I wanted to start with a relationship that was foundational. Uh, so I took childhood friends because that's a trope I love is friends to lovers and um, added this element to it and wrote essentially what I wish I would have had when I was 17 or 18 years old. I really love that as a reason for writing Young Adult and to kind of give a different, um, you know, way of looking at these relationships. So that's really cool. Um, I think Laurel, my mom, has a question. So I'm going to turn it over to her. Hi. Hi. My, my question is, when in your journey, because that was a very interesting journey in Mia's introduction, that you decided you wanted to be a novelist. Oh boy. Um, I think writing is something I've always done. Um, when I was a kid, just to fill time, just to entertain myself. Um, I grew up in a very, very small, very rural town. And outside of my extended family, there weren't, there weren't a lot of kids to play with. There weren't a lot of things to do. So I had a lot of alone time. I was the first uh, grandchild by four years and then the next one didn't come for 10 years after it so i had a lot of alone time and so i would write stories i wrote a lot of babysitters club fan fiction <laughs> and uh that kind of just went on from there i started dabbling in other forms of writing um i've done short stories for a few years uh, i did i've written a couple plays um but really i just I don't know, this particular story felt like it fit in a novel. And 
so I've been playing with it a little bit and a novel is what it fell into. So, and it turns out I'm actually better at the form than I am at short stories. So <laughs> I've written three novels and I've never written a short story. Just never. Oh, it's just such a different animal, you know, because you've got to, you've got to narrow the story down to a specific snapshot and where that starts and where that ends is so subjective. And it just, short stories are so cutthroat, I've found, and people's tastes are very subjective. And so it's really, it's really kind of um, demoralizing, actually, to keep in the short story market, you know, like to keep writing and putting your stories out there and trying to get them published. And you're at the whim of whatever editor or slush reader has grabbed your story up to read it today and maybe they didn't like it or maybe the first couple paragraphs didn't mesh with them and in a novel you just have more room to do this you have more room to set the stage and to get inside character heads and i really appreciate character driven stories more than um plot driven obviously <laughs> and i think there's more room in novels to do that than short stories cool Uh, so with that and what you just said, did you know when you started A Hole in the World that it was going to be a series? No, actually, I didn't even, I didn't even write it with the intention to ever publish it. And when I presented it to the friend I wrote it for, um, she said in her very, very Scottish accent that I would be daft if I didn't try. So, <laughs> so it was... <laughs> Yeah, I, I took it on as a kind of a learning experience to see if I could go through the process and finish a novel and put out something publishable. So, um, so when did you decide that it was going to be a series? Um, when I got to the end of the first one and the characters wouldn't shut up, really. <laughs> so to talk about that and. And that character speaking to you that way. That's so great to kind of hear that. And it feels so organic and authentic, I think, to yeah. write in that way, to kind of not force it, but that like these characters have more stories. Um, yeah. That's really cool. So I want to ask you a little bit about the Bye 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 podcast. First of all, oh, okay. when you say that out loud, um, do you just start singing in sync? Yes, that's, okay. that's, that was intentional. <laughs> and, yeah, and if we could have gotten if we could have gotten the rights to the song uh, affordably, we would have used that as our intro music. <laughs> no, it was just funny because I have I've read your your bio a couple times, you know, putting it on the website and different things, and it wasn't until I read it out loud that I heard it, and so it was a little funny. Um, but of course, one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about it is because plug more work, like you know. Plug yeah. your work here, please. But also, I'm very interested in clearly you define yourself very much by kind of multiple identities, I guess, mm -hmm. or, or being in the middle of identities. And I was just curious. I would love to hear kind of about that a bit because I was really struck with reading your bio, how central that was. Yeah. Um, my, my mother is um, Anishinaabe and my father is white. And um, so I kind of grew up in this sort of limbo period where 
um, I was too white to be fully Indian and too Indian to be not deemed as not white, you know, in my other family. And I didn't know it at the time because children are kind of innocent to these things, but there were just little subtle racist overtones to my upbringing as I was growing. Like my, my father's family was Italian and my grandfather's uh, nickname for me was Wapaho. <laughs> <laughs> and like I didn't I didn't even know what that was I didn't know what slurs were or anything like that until I got older and um and made a joke about it at university and I had a I had an Italian friend who was like well what <laughs> so and it just kind of it just kind of influenced everything and at the time um like my grand my grandparents on my uh, Ojibwe side and my mom and her siblings um, didn't grow up with uh, access to the um, native culture that is becoming more and more acceptable today. You know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't okay to be Indian. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of assimilation that happened. Uh, I only know one uh, Ojibwe speaker in my family, and he's 80, I think. Oh, I think it froze for a second. All of the opportunity to engage in that as a child, but now as an adult, now that I've moved away from the reservation and other such things, um, to pursue a career and find a life outside of that, um, now it's starting to become more prominent and the culture is starting to gain a foothold and the language is being reclaimed and so there's all of that stuff that i missed out on but i'm still missing out on it and so i still feel like an outsider and that's just kind of always where i've been because i don't i don't look the way people think native americans should look and it's i've just kind of always existed in this place like am i am i really native enough am i Am I actually white? Should I just accept being white? And so it's always just kind of, it's really informed everything. <laughs> no, I, and, I have yeah, a, and, a question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Oh, My question was going to be, because this is how much, Mom, hold on a second. Um, because this is recording, I'm just stepping in for a second because my screen froze for a few minutes. So I apologize if people missed some of the really interesting things Brandon was saying, but hopefully we got it all. And so I just, I wanna make sure we got that in. Um, okay, mom, go ahead. I wanted to ask how much this bye-bye-bye identity informs the YA novels that you're reading, because writing, excuse me. Because I think that those are amazing issues for young adult novels. Yeah, um, specifically, the hole in the world was without a doubt YA. It was definitely young adult. Um, Blood of the True Believers moved into what um, I've come to know as new adult, where this this kind of limbo area between I'm not a child anymore, but I haven't really figured out this adult stuff. And um, so, yeah, I I would say definitely that specific area is i'm drawn to that because of the way i've just kind of always grown up in between things and um bye 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 is actually a group project there's three of us 
and um, all bisexual identifying people. And, um, and that was another, another thing that drew us together to that is that, well, two of the three of us grew up in very religious households and um, weren't really able to come to grips with our sexuality in those terms. And so we came to understanding bisexuality as adults. And again, it was like another limbo that we fell into and we're all, we're all married to men. And um, two of us are cisgender identifying. And uh, so it's, it's just, everything feels like this weird, just in between place, which is really big in fantasy too, the tweens, like between the days and between the hours. And so new adult felt like another one of those tween spaces to explore where you're not quite one identity, you're not quite the other, um, but somehow you're both and neither at the same time. Interesting. That's great. Yeah, it is. And, and it definitely seems like that informs the work, especially because um, I know for, for Karen, she seems kind of on that bubble herself, that she has knowledge of this fan of this magic world, excuse me, not fantasy world. And clearly she's very close to it. But, and again, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading more, but that she can't touch it. Is that how you, you termed it in the book? Um, that is the central theme of, or the central plot of the first book. So I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, she is, she's, unable to it's kind of a twist on the girl thrown into a world of magic story where she stumbles in and all of a sudden there's all this magic around her and she's part of the world somehow and instead i threw karn into a world where magic exists but she's completely incapable of experiencing it like in any way shape or form and it's like she just doesn't exist to it at all and uh so yeah, it's another limbo period, I guess. <laughs> I, didn't, I hadn't thought about it that way before, where everybody else around her can see and interact with it once they know about it. And between, Innes is very um, dream-oriented. He loves fairy tales. He loves stories. And he's always believed in magic. And Karn's always been the, the more skeptical of the two. And you find out that that's kind of why, you know, but she goes along with it because he's her best friend and she trusts him. And uh, so she gets pulled into this world of magic that she can't be part of essentially, but she still has to be part of it because it's there. <laughs> it's so interesting. And, and I could imagine, especially as a YA novel, something that could be very resonating with people who maybe <laughs> feel out of place in their lives or a little alienated. And I think it's so, cause you're right. Like we've read a lot of things where like all of a sudden it turns out someone's magic or they're thrown into yeah. a magic world or whatever it is. And, and so I really kind of love it being the opposite, almost that the special person is the one that can't touch the magic. Um, yeah. that, that just kind of as kind of a metaphor and kind of something that I think a lot of people are looking for to connect to could be something really great to kind of, read as a YA novel and like more as we're talking even though as I said I I like asking that question about why did you choose to write YA it seems the more we talk it becomes so clear that this is really a story that is going to be so powerful to younger people and that they're the mm -hmm. ones who kind of need it more honestly based right. on the way you're talking um 
yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, I hope you don't mind this question. I know you have twins, which um, must be joyous and also during COVID, everything else, you know, that you can imagine. <laughs> Did that kind of go into your thinking about writing YA? Did it affect how you wrote YA? Um, well, to give the abbreviated version, um, my twins are actually my brother's children and um, they are living with us for a time because, mostly because of COVID. Um, and he's immunocompromised. Um, I have a, I have a teenage daughter uh, who just turned 18 this year. And so, yeah, part of that motivation was to write things that I wish she had access to, mm-hmm. you know, um, even if she doesn't read my books, which she does, she's, she's great. She, it's, it's really nice having your target demographic living in your house <laughs> so they can give you feedback and she's just been wonderful. But yeah, um, as they get older and we're encouraging reading more, um, to them. Um, I do want them to have more stories like this and um, more access to stories they can identify with because obviously they have the same cultural backup background that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and Karn in the books, uh, her mother is white and her father is native, which you find out later, you know, but um, again, it's something I approach with a very soft touch. Like I don't want it to be the point of the book but I want it to be there in the background. And that's what I want for my children and my brother's children is for them to see themselves normalized, which I think is all we want for any kid, you know, growing up is to see that their experience doesn't have to be the whole point of a story that they can just have regular stories while being these identities. That's, that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, and I think is important, right? Like that does kind of feed into normalizing that rather than stories that if we think about marginalized identities or other identities, yeah. um, that they, it's usually like the only way you get a story about that is if it's only about that. Yeah. Um, and um, I first came into that. My first play that I wrote um, is a story of two Jewish teenagers who um, get into a bit of a pickle and have to, again, they're, they're at the age of 17 and the topic of abortion comes up. And so the story isn't about them being Jewish teenagers, but it's about them being teenagers whose lives are influenced by um, their Judaism, you mm-hmm. know? And so in the end, it comes to the conclusion that um, what they want is actually supported by what they believe already. So, and I, I went into that specifically because Christianity didn't offer that to me. And I wanted to show that um, religion wasn't always against these things that teenagers experience. You know, that not every, when people say, oh, this is wrong because of my religion. Well, that's not necessarily true for every religion. And, uh, and one of my, I had a, a friend who did sensitivity reading for me to make sure that I didn't plan any stereotypes or anything. And she said that it was, it was very refreshing because like all of her stories that she gets to see herself reflected in are about Holocaust survival and, and things of that type. And she said, it's really nice to just see teenagers exist who happen to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. And so I took that and I wanted to go more into something that was my own culture that I felt more confident writing. Like I wasn't taking someone else's story 
And because uh, I, I, I do a little feel like I had taken someone else's story when I did that, but I don't know. <laughs> I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> no, I, I like, I'm thinking a lot about that. I'm Jewish and, and I talk oh. a lot about um, kind of abortion and Judaism because <laughs> I do a lot of women's rights activism. So like yeah. me, and, and like, you know, like most Jews, I have a complicated relationship with being Jewish. Like it's all, you know, we're not going to turn this, this conversation yeah. just into that. It would take up the whole thing. But, <laughs> um, but, but no, but that our relationship to abortion is, is a big topic of conversation for me. And it's something I talk about a lot. And it's something that I think it could be very fruitful in our current national debate about abortion. Um, but so I just find it so interesting that that you were looking for a different conversation about abortion and that's what drew you to writing about Jewish teenagers. Like, yeah. I find that really fascinating um, because I think so often people who were raised Christian, and I, I can't remember if you were at this talk, we had a talk earlier in our series with Christy Stroop and Lauren O'Neill mm -hmm. on MC the Cues. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was trying to remember if you had come to that one. And one thing we talked about, because I, I feel this very strongly as someone who's Jewish, is that very often people who are raised in Christianity and decide that it's problematic for them or, or they leave it or, or whatever it is, become what we were talking about is like these militant Christian atheists. Mm -hmm. And part of that comes with seeing all religion through that lens. Yeah. And so like Judaism and Islam and Buddhism and just like so, you know, all quote unquote like other religions mm -hmm. are deemed as bad because they deem yeah. Christianity is bad. Yeah. And so it's so interesting to me. Not not that I'm I'm placing you with someone who's left uh, the church. I don't want to no, assume. Yeah. But but it's just very interesting to me to hear that. Like in that you you really want to talk about Judaism for that reason. Um, yeah, and I, I think part of that was because a lot of reasons that uh, women's rights and reproductive rights get talked about the way they do. They they um, get suppressed by people who believe that freedom of religion allows them to do that and not every religion supports that idea. And so it was, I don't even remember how I came upon the fact, but someone had told me they were like, yeah, um, I'm going to mispronounce it. What is it? The Tamald? The Tamad. The, the Tamad. They said allows for circumstances where abortion is not only acceptable but probably religiously the correct choice for you to make mm -hmm. and that really struck me as profound you know like I'd, I'd never considered that and as I explored that idea and learned more about it I was just I was completely gobsmacked like I had I had some very emotional times like coming to grips with that in my own upbringing versus that and just wow I wish that I had known that not all religion, not everyone's relationship to God requires you to be against these things that you don't see as bad. <laughs> no, I mean, and so. I will say as someone who's Jewish and as someone who's experienced plenty of patriarchy through Judaism, like I don't want to like erase yeah. I don't, we, we've got our shit too, but no, but there is a lot of, you know, um, life beginning at first breath is like a very common mm -hmm. Jewish statement about yeah. it relates to abortion and that like the life of the mother well human life in general is paramount so but um yeah so that's so interesting to me um we could keep talking for a very long time clearly which i love and i'm so happy about but i also know that you know people as a recording and listening to things um so we might want to wrap up a bit but please plug your books again i want to 
tell everyone about the series and the first and the second. Uh, great. Um, the series is the Hole in the World series, um, and that's the title of the first one. Um, and Blood of the True Believer is the follow-up to it. Um, the Hole in the World is squarely young adult. Blood of the True Believer is what I would call new adult, um, and it is out August 15th. Great. That was what I was hoping you would say. I knew August, and I, I didn't have the date. Yeah. All right, so August 15th, mm -hmm. I'm already reading it. I got an early copy. You all <laughs> um, <laughs> for August 15th. We will, of course, um, have the link to it on Sea Witch. We will put stuff out excitedly on launch day. And um, please, you know, check out our website, seawitchbooks.com. And our, we have an ebook retailer that we're working with, and we work with IndieBound. And we hope to see you guys next time. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully, we'll continue talking because clearly yes. we have a lot of interesting things to say to each other. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you this for coming. Great. great.